am excited about this morning. I was thinking about when they were talking about the pasta maker, and it's pretty exciting. You know, it's like fresh pasta, but it's a lot of work. You stand there, and you stand there, and you got to get it all right and such like that. But I was thinking about that, and even what I've been talking about in the last several weeks, we've been talking about the table, and using the table as a metaphor to understand what is God saying to us? What is God really speaking to us, and how does that affect us today? We, we started a couple of weeks ago about understanding that God's table is an open heaven, which means we have access to God and access to his healing and access to his life and access to everything he wants uh, to give us. And then last week we talked about how God's table is a, is a moving table. You, you, the table of the, the showbread was next to the, uh, the ark. And when the ark moved, the table, which represents the fellowship, and the connection between God and man followed and was there. And that's important to understand is because we, don't, we, we not only have an open heaven where God wants to pour into our life, God wants to take us someplace. God wants us to grow. God wants us to change. God wants to add to your life. And if you find yourself stuck or if you find yourself just in one place, you need to understand that God's moving. And he wants you to move, and he's trying to get you to move and to grow in everything that, that he has as well. So the table is, is unique. It's, it's important. It's a very interesting metaphor that we find in the Bible. It is humans are the only you know, creatures on earth that have a table, that eat on a table, something that is where everyone can gather around and everyone can relate to one another, and it's really centered on food. And centered on that fellowship and that connection that's there. It's really important to understand that food is not just, a, um, you know, uh, for fuel. It's not just something that we do to make sure that, you know, we keep living. It's something that is delightful. It's something, as we've been talking about, it's something that is uh, actually we enjoy being together. Because we're not only enjoying each other's fellowship and each other's connection, we're actually enjoying the food that's there. And the, and the table has, not surprisingly then, been all through the Bible. If you look, you'll find from the very beginning there was the, the Passover table, which represented everything that God was going to do. And through Jesus Christ, it was an important table to understand. All the way to the New Testament where we, where we find the communion table that really helps us understand the life and the death of Jesus Christ and what that means to us. As a matter of fact... It's fascinating to think about that when Jesus was going to explain his death, the significance of his death, and everything that, that was important, he didn't give them a, a thought. Here's a thought, guys. I want you to uh, think about this. He, he didn't give them a theory. I think this is how it might work. He didn't even give them a theology. A theology of, okay, let me explain in detail how all this has worked. When God wanted to explain the death of Jesus Christ. And when he was gathered his disciples around, you know what he gave them? A, a meal, food. He gave them, he sat at a table and says, let me explain the most important aspect of everything I've ever taught you in the last three years or so. Let me explain it at a table. Let me explain it with a meal. And that's important to understand. And it, sometimes we just get lost in theology and we get intrigued by different things. I, I was talking with someone on the phone, and, uh, a professor, and she, we were talking and, and she brought up, you know, the, the last days and, and specifically the mark of the beast. 
<laughs> I, I, which is interesting because no matter where you're at, no matter what circle I'm at, no matter even whether it's a Christian circle or, or a, a non-Christian circle, somewhere in there, so many times, the theological issue that gets brought up is the last days or the mark of the beast. Is it going to be on my head? Is it going to be a real number? Is it going to be on my on my hand? Is it the chip that they want to swear, you know, where we can't buy and sell? And those are intriguing things. And and I, I like to teach on the end times because I think it's something that God has promised us that is encouraging to us and something we shouldn't be afraid of. I grew up terrified of anything like that because I didn't understand God's grace. I didn't understand what God was trying to do. And there's a really simple way to understand even something like that. But this morning, I don't want to talk about the mark of the beast. I want to talk about something more important theologically. I want to talk about something more powerful that will affect your life today. And that's simply the mark of the feast, (laughs) not the beast, the feast. You see, the feast post, you know, thinks about uh, is dealing with with really difficult times. But the feast is something we should live every day. What is the mark of God's table? What is this mark? This morning, we want to talk about the mark of the feast, the thing that sets the table apart, the thing that makes all the difference in your life, the thing that we have to understand more than anything else, more than last days or anything. You need to understand this about what is God's table and how does that affect you? And specifically, right now, in this time, in this age, in this difficulty, no matter what you're dealing with, how do you do that? See, God wants you to understand that this table is open to you, that God wants you to come to his table. In fact, the most important thing that you can understand about God's table is that it is an open invitation for you. God's table is open to you, and you may not feel like it. You may feel like your life is going the wrong direction or you're doing the wrong things or you're outwardly, you seem like you got it all together, but inside it's really, really messed up. And you feel like, I, I can't even find God's table. I, I can't even get there. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God's table is an open invitation. God wants you at this table. God wants you at his table. And to understand the mark of this table, the mark of the feast, the mark of the food, the dinner, the fellowship that we're talking about. What is that mark? You know, you might have been exposed to uh, the, 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 the language of love. In other words, the five languages of love. There's a teaching out there. I think it's a pretty good one that, that explains how you see uh, love, how you express love or how you receive love. So if you are uh, have, the, uh, have a language of love of touch, that means you touch people and, and you feel, you know, it, it's, it's just a way of you saying, hey, I care about you. I love you. And you receive that as well. And there, there's several of them. There's, there's five and I don't need to go through all of them. But just this morning, I want to add another one. I want to add a sixth language of love that actually, I think, is encompasses all of the other five. And this is a language, I think, of how God expresses love. Now, I know some of you are going to think I'm a heretic here in a second, but just bear with me because I believe that the language of God's love is food. Now, some of you are getting real excited. Yes, that's my language. <laughs> I want the language. I, I have the language of love of food. <laughs> Do you know that God put 10,000 taste buds in your mouth? 10,000. Why would he do that? Why would he give 
10,000 taste buds in our mouth, except that we can experience all the different delights and joys and, and, and nuances of, of taste. Taste is not just something we just do to live. Taste is something that actually gives us joy. We have taste buds so that we can feel the delight and the joy. And I think that's connected. You know, it's really interesting. If you take an infant, someone that's really recently born. I remember each one of my children when they were born and being um, just so small. And I remember watching as Lisa held that little baby. And there was something that the, the, the psychologists tell us is the most bonding moment is when that little baby is held in the arms by the mother, by the father, and is being fed. I remember holding a bottle and feeding my, my children. That moment, they say, is the most bonding. That's when something just clicks in that little infant's uh, spirit, heart, soul, where they realize, this person loves me. When? When they're feeding them. <laughs> so their food is connected there and it's, it's, it, it is related there in, in the most powerful way of giving, of caring, of reaching out. God has placed all of these great taste buds in our life so that we can enjoy food. And I believe God has given us a mark of the feast so that we can enjoy life. can enjoy the things that God wants us to, to, to really understand. So maybe you don't feel that joy because I believe that mark of the feast is joy. It is what we need to have in our life. It is what we need to think and live and and. and and respond to everything around us. When Peter, after Jesus died, right before he died, stood in front of a fire and denied Jesus three times. And then Peter watched Jesus be taken off and crucified. Peter was, I think, depressed. Because in John 21, he turns to the other of disciples, other friends, says, I'm going fishing. I, I, I just got to go do something. I think that the other disciples went with him because they wanted to watch him because he, he might have been a little bit even <laughs> on the edge, if you know what I mean. They didn't want what happened to uh, Judas happened to Peter. <laughs> they were with him because he was discouraged. He was overwhelmed. He was despondent because he failed and he knew it. It was his fault. He openly denied, even when Jesus had warned him that you're going to deny me. Peter did it anyway. He, he must have felt just horrible. So he's in the boat. He's out with fishing and he looks on the shore and he sees Jesus. <laughs> wow. He's overwhelmed. He jumps in the water and everyone thinks, whoa, let's grab Peter. <laughs> he's going under. So, no, no, he's swimming to the shore. So he goes to the shore. And this is probably the most ironic moment you can think of. Here's Jesus risen from the dead. He's standing uh, you know, there by the by a fire. Peter comes up dripping wet, soaking wet, head to toe. You know, water, you can see water running down and be like that. He's just probably looking at Jesus. Now, here's Jesus. Now, John 21 is really known, and theologians talk about it, as the chapter where Peter is restored. Because a little bit later, he asked three times for the three denials, do you love me, Peter? But before he ever said, do you love me, he said, the most, I think, important words. Because here's Peter, he's standing there, he's feeling depressed, he's feeling discouraged, he's feeling overwhelmed, he's feeling like a failure. 
Anybody relate? Anybody out there thinking, yeah, that's me. I, I wish I had done it this way. I wish I hadn't thought this. I wish I hadn't gone there. All these things. And Peter's standing there. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> what does he say? What does he... When Peter comes up there and Peter is discouraged, Jesus prepares a meal for him. He sets a table <laughs> for Peter. And Peter's looking at him. And, and this is what he says. It says in John 21, 12, he says, Peter... Come and have breakfast. <laughs> you never thought that come and have breakfast would be powerful spiritual words, but I think they're some of the strongest ones we can find in the Bible. Here's Peter, who is a broken, despondent, rejected, former disciple, knowing that he had failed, knowing that he had denied Jesus. And what does Jesus do? What does he do when he looks at him? He says, it's time to eat. Come and have breakfast. You know, it's interesting. He didn't start out and say, oh, Peter, I'm so glad you're here. Let's go over the 13 critical theological things you need to know to restore you from your, your, you know, your rejection of me. He didn't do that. He didn't say, okay, let's lay out some, some, uh, some principles of, that are important that we find, that we'll find that we need to get you to understand. He didn't do that. He didn't say, let's go into some depths of everything you did wrong. Let's do some inner healing, Peter. Let's go to each one of these things and find out what you did wrong so you can confess it and then we can move on. He, he didn't do that either. He said, Peter, it's time to eat. <laughs> he just offered a meal. The steps that Jesus began to restore Peter was a table, was a table of fellowship. Oh, you got to get that. You got to understand that. He did say those are four important words, and we, we discussed them. Do you love me? Because, you know, the first one is, do you agape me? And then he changed it to, do you fellow me? And I've read books, literally books, on those four words. Do, is it agape? Is it fellow? Why did he change it? What does it mean? You know, we go, this is real, this is not, all these type of big things. But I think as important as that is, it's not about those four words. It's about the first four words. Come and have breakfast. Because if Peter is not at the table... If Peter is not in fellowship with Jesus, then no restoration happens. And there's no forgiveness there. And there's nothing that can heal Peter's heart. If it doesn't start with come to the table and have fellowship with me and understand I have something greater. If it doesn't actually begin with the right relationship with a joy, then he'll never, never get to the restoration at all. And maybe you feel like, man, I, I don't belong at the table. I... I <sighs> You know, I try to serve God, but it, it doesn't work out or it doesn't always go like I want. Or, and we have these things that keep us, that make us feel just like Peter in the boat. Thinking, man, I'm just worthless. I'm just, I can't do this. And, and maybe others around you wouldn't know it. They would never guess that because we have smiles and we were good. But you know, the table that Jesus set for Peter was for a broken man. You've got to get this. God's table is for broken people. It's for failures. It's for losers. It's for all of those that didn't make it, that try to be good and they can't, that try to be righteous and can't be there. That's what the table's for. That's who the table is for. Because at this table, this is the table that you will find joy. This is the table that messed up, 
hurting, dejected, lonely, isolated, pushed aside, socially rejected, everything. This is a table that everything gets turned around, that they begin to find joy like they can't believe it. His table is to help you find joy, to help you understand that, you know what? I really have uh, something that God wants to do in my life. Peter finds Matthew, I mean, Jesus finds Matthew. He's walking around and sees Matthew. And Matthew is not a good guy. I don't care how you cut it. He's not a good guy. He's a tax collector. And, you know, we hear that and we think, okay, someone works for the IRS taking our money. That's not cool. No, 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 no. Those people just doing their job. That's not what it meant in the New Testament to be a tax collector. A tax collector was someone who actually cheated their own people so that for their own benefit. They were in charge of collecting the money and they would collect more, much, much more, robbing people of their homes and their livelihoods. They would be the socially most rejected people in all of society. They were thieves and robbers and crooks and cheats. They would take food literally out of the mouths of babies, okay? This is who they were, that just so you understand. So he sees Matthew and says, Matthew, I'm going to go to your house and we're going to have dinner. And when he's there at dinner, he's not only with Matthew, who's a known sinner, a known tax collector, someone who's not a nice guy. The whole table is filled with known sinners, tax collectors, and all kinds of other people, just bad people, not a good place. And there's Jesus eating with them all. So the Pharisees are are really confused about this. And a lot of times we impugn the motives of the Pharisees, and rightly so, because the Pharisees have a tendency to make up rules. That's what they did. They would take the Bible and the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and they would add all kinds of rules to it. And, th- and that's what happened so often, and they would put those rules on the people, and they couldn't live up to it. The Pharisees couldn't live up to it. The religious of the day couldn't do it. But in this case, that's not, that's not what happened. They looked at Jesus, and they said, Jesus, okay, we put up with some other stuff, but this has gone too far. Because the Bible, the Torah, says if you, the Pentateuch, if you eat with known uh, sinners who have uh, openly rejected God, you deserve death. In fact, Deuteronomy 21.20 says just that. That if you knowingly eat with sinners that have openly rejected God, you deserve death death and that's what they said so all of a sudden at this point they said jesus you have to die and it wasn't just because of jealousy and just because they were evil it's because that's what the scripture says now so what do we do with that do we say oh that doesn't count you know that was old testament (laughs) and jesus did come to fulfill the law but he didn't come to abolish it so what happened here what what does what does this mean and it simply means this jesus knew that sitting at the table with sinners meant Somebody had to die. <laughs> That's what scripture says. If you eat with sinners at a table, somebody has to die. That's exactly what Jesus did. He died for you. He died for me. He didn't die because he broke the law. He died because he fulfilled the promise of, the, of love for, the, for people. He died, he sat at the table, and therefore fulfilled the law and gave his life so that people that are broken, that are messed up, that are hurting, that are despicable, that are rejected, that don't deserve to be at the table can come to the table and find joy. (laughs) You can. I don't care where you're at. I don't care how broken you might be. Because Jesus in the end said this. He said, look, 
This is what you need to understand about my table. This is what you need to understand about what is the, the mark of this feast, the mark of this table, and what we're talking about this morning. This is what you need to understand. And he said, it is not for the healthy who need a doctor. It, it's for the sick. <laughs> and I have come to call, not to call the righteous. I have come to call the sinners. Did you see that? We have a, a sense that maybe here Matthew invited his friends, but I don't think that was the case at all. I think there's a clear indication that Jesus invited these sinners to Matthew's house. Jesus called the sinners. Hey, are you broken? Are you messed up? Are you going the wrong way? Are you confused? Are you lonely? Do you feel like that, that nobody cares, that you can't make a difference? Do you feel like that you just keep falling and keep stumbling? Hey, come to my table because I have something great for you. I have a joy that will change everything. Come to my table. Isn't that amazing? In Psalms 78, verse 19, we find the most curious verse. This is what it says. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? What the psalmist was talking about were the children of Israel who were was in the wilderness and they were rebelling against God. And they asked this question. That's what the psalmist was saying. The children of Israel in the, in the wilderness, God's people asked this question. God, can you uh, really make a table in the wilderness? And, and we think... If you look at that, you might interpret that as they were saying, God, can you meet my needs in the desert? Can you meet my needs when everything is going wrong? Can you meet my needs needs when, when I'm out there all alone? And I can understand you've seen it that way, but that's not what this verse means at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Because what this table was really about is understanding their concept. When they weren't saying, God, can you meet my needs? They were saying, God... Can we talk? That's literally what it's saying. Because in ancient times, the table was first used and primarily used to negotiate, to bring two sides together, to take things that were different and to make them one. Even now we have the term negotiating table. It's a, it, it, it still to this day is something that we understand about that. And that's what they were saying. They were saying, mm, God... <laughs> Uh, I know you give us the manna, and I know you bring water right out of the rock, but we want to negotiate how this really works. We like the manna. Don't get us wrong. We want to be fed with the manna. Give us a little bit different, maybe some quail every now and then. That's cool. Give us some water. But you know what, God? We want to live like the Egyptians. We want to serve the golden calf. We want to eat the things that we ate in Egypt. We want to do that. So can we make a deal? Can we just sort of lay this out and see really what I want? What I want is for you to meet my needs, for me to be called uh, your children, to be brought into the promised land and still live like I want. That's what they were saying. And unfortunately, so many times I think that that is the same attitude. Even today, 21st century, 2020, in the midst of everything going on, many hearts still say, God, I, I want to live like I want to live. I want to have my dreams and my visions and my plans and my purpose. And I want to do it my way. You see, what you're giving me is not enough. I want to make a deal, God. Can I uh, go to heaven? Don't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? Nobody. <laughs> Let me go to heaven, God. I want to go to heaven, but I want to live it my way. I want to act my way. I want to be who I am here. I got to be me, you know. Come on, God. 
Let me do that. And at the same time, have all your blessings. They wanted a deal. That's what Israel wanted. That's what Israel was talking about. Israel says, hey, Jesus, hey, hey God, can, can, we, we want to be like the Egyptians. We want to walk like the Egyptians. We, we want to talk like the Egyptians and be blessed by God. That was just for you people that lived in the 80s. Do we really understand what it means to come to the table and what God's table is really all about? I don't, I'm not sure we do. What is God's table really about? Ezekiel helps us understand it in a way that is absolutely essential for us this morning. Ezekiel chapter 41, 22 is describing the altar in detail. This is what an altar does. This is what you put on it. This is where the, what kind of wood you burn. That's what it's doing. And then it gets to the end after describing the altar of God and says this. This is the table that is before the Lord. Wow. According to Ezekiel, God sees the altar as the table. That's our table. The table that we come to is not the one where we're just going to have a food fight. (laughs) The table we come to is actually the table that God sees as an altar. So you can understand that God's table is not a table of compromise. It's not a table of bargain. It's not a table of, come on, let's make a deal. <laughs> you do this and I'll do this and you bless me here, okay? You bless me here and that I'll show up once a month, once a month. Okay, okay, twice a month to church. If you bless me here and if you take care of all my family, I'll throw in a gift every now and then. <laughs> Tithe, now that's another thing. I don't, you don't be telling me how to do that. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want the Bible. I don't want a pastor. I don't want church telling me how to live or how to behave or what to do. I, I don't want that. This is how I want to live. And so we see it as a negotiating table. But that's not God's table. Because God's table is something so much powerful. When you come to God's table, it is an act of surrender. And that is where we find joy. Because <laughs> only in our surrender... So when the tax collectors and sinners were sitting around the table, they weren't saying, "There's, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, I got you got this little gospel thing going on and things like that, but this is how I want to do it. No, they were sitting there open, broken, receiving, surrendering their life in the most powerful way. And that is where we find joy. You see, when we try to bargain, when we try to negotiate with God, about this is how I'm going to live. This is what a Christian means to me, God. This is what it means. I'm going to live like this and behave like this and act like this. I don't want to forgive that person because they're just mean. So don't be telling me to forgive that person. I don't want to go over there and do that because, you know, you know I'm so busy. I don't, want to, I don't want to give here. I don't want to care there. Or I, don't want, I don't want to do this or do that. And we start to negotiate with God. And you know what happens when you negotiate? You lose the power. And when you lose the power, the power comes from the joy. And so we live the most horrible life ever, I think. To be a Christian, to go and be part of God's fellowship, to be part of God's body and not have joy means that we're missing something in the most basic element the mark of everything that god's doing is joy in our life it flows out of everything in fact acts 14 17 paul says this 
to the people that are really struggling and wondering, hey, how do I, how do I serve God? And he says this, you've got to understand that God provides plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. Even Paul was connecting the table with understanding joy. When you come to the table, you know what this table is about? You know what the mark of the feast is about? The mark of the table is about? It's about joy. And it's about joy that we can't explain. It's about a joy unspeakable. It's about joy that just overflows our mind and our heart. Everything is about joy. Our life has to be joy. Right, we have to live in joy. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the, uh, the, the things that we're dealing with are, it can't be. I, I was just reading in, uh, in Deuteronomy and, and just reading about Moses. And it's really interesting it, it, it talks about how Moses, he was so struggling, and yet he understood about joy. Do you realize, if I ask you this morning, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? What would you say? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? You probably don't know what it is, but you would quote it. And you would immediately say, Jesus wept. And if you said that, you would, you would be saying everything we were taught in Sunday school. That's wrong. It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, we understand verses aren't inspired by God, but they, they help us understand the point, the thought. So the simplest thought, the shortest verse is not Jesus wept, but rejoice always, always rejoice. That's the shortest verse in the Bible by three Greek characters. <laughs> so I can prove it. It is the shortest verse, but somehow we get stuck on the part of Jesus weeping and not so good. And they don't believe and, you know, and lost that. And that's what we focus on when the, the, the most strongest thought, the simplest thought, the, what God wants to get over to us more than anything is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice always. Rejoice when you're in a pandemic. Rejoice when you're out of a job. Rejoice when you're hurting. Rejoice when your body isn't right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice always. That is the most powerful thought. See, joy overwhelms everything. No matter what you're going with. And we often use circumstances to, to dictate whether we'll have joy or not. And that is not the Christian life. That is not God's table. And if you don't have joy in your life, you're missing everything. Joy is the sign of the table. It is the mark of the feast. It is the mark of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's not just one of the fruits. I think joy encompasses all of them put together. If you have the power of God's Spirit in you, you have joy. You must have joy. Joy has to flow out of us in everything we do. And if we're living our life depressed... Or discourage. That is the worst thing I can imagine in a church. If you walk into a church and everyone is discouraged and everyone is depressed and there's just, you know, you don't want to stay. Nobody wants to stay. Because no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're feeling, no matter how much we're hurting, everything is always about joy. And we worry about, oh, am I going to have a 666 on my head? If I'm going to have it on my hand? But we shouldn't be worried about those three uh, numbers. We should be worried about those uh, three letters of J-O-Y. Do we have joy? Are you living joy? Do you walk into a room and there's joy on your head? <laughs> Do you walk in the room and there's joy in your hand and your mouth and your heart? That is a Christian life. The biggest most detrimental thing that anyone can say about the church is that, well, those people have no joy. That is not God's table. It doesn't represent the church. 
when you say that God doesn't even know that church, that God doesn't even know those Christians, God doesn't even know those people. Because if you don't have joy, you don't have the spirit. Everything flows out of what God is doing. And you might wonder, say, how, Greg, how do do I know? Because I'm so discouraged. I want that joy, but I don't seem to really find it. I want that joy, but I, I, I can't seem to how do I have that joy? Because this is what you need to understand. Joylessness is powerlessness. Joylessness is powerlessness. Joylessness is gracelessness. And gracelessness is powerless. Greg, I don't have any power to live this life. No, I, I get that. I, I totally understand. Makes total sense. You say, well, I thought God's grace was there. Yeah, it is. But God's grace comes from God's joy. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought it was only about grace. Yes. How do you get the grace? You got to come to the table. <laughs> you got to be at the table. Because if you're not in fellowship, if you're not in connection, if you don't come with an open heart, say, God, I need you. And you find that joy. You'll never find the grace. If you don't find the grace, you'll never find the power. And you'll never live for God. You have to say, God, help me live that life. <laughs> so Nehemiah is, a, is an Old Testament character and and that Jerusalem had been destroyed and 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 he God moves on him to go and 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 rebuild the wall. So he goes to Jerusalem and they rebuild the walls and they're just excited about the renewal that God has brought. We pray for a restoration, don't we? We pray for renewal. God move across America. Move across this world. Move across what you're doing. We pray for that. And they were doing that and they found a book. They'd have been away from God, and so they'd been in captivity, and they didn't really understand. They found the book that explains the, the law, and someone began to read, read it. <laughs> and, and the more they read, the more depressed they got, because they realized, we are so toast. We are far from God. We don't know God. We don't know who he is. We're not living for God. And they began to weep. And they begin to wail and they begin to cry. You think, well, that's what it is. That's what we need. And I'm not saying we don't weep and wail and cry out for God. But this is what Nehemiah's response was. Hey, guys, stop. Let's come to a feast. Let's come to a table. Let's eat God's food. And then he says in Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved. Stop your whining. Stop your grieving for the joy of the Lord. That is your strength. The joy of God is your strength. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how you're hurting. I don't know what you're thinking. Are you thinking this is going on forever? I agree. (laughs) You know, I, I rebuke this pandemic every single day. It's not of God. God doesn't want anything to do with it. It has got its roots in fear. It's got its roots in, in, in animosity and division and all these things. And I just re- rebuke the whole thing. And I believe God's going to bring a, a refreshing and healing moment over, over the whole church as we begin to understand. But this is what is important in the midst of wherever you're going through. If you're walking through the fire, if you're in a valley, if you're in a depressed thing, if, uh, situation, you can't allow that to dictate your joy. Too many Christians live joyless lives. If you don't have joy, I'm not saying you always you know, have this fake smile on. That's not joy. 
I'm saying there's something, a strength and something inside of you, a mark of God's table, a mark of the feast, joy written on your head saying, it doesn't matter what, God, I'm going to rejoice always. The, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm going to stand strong in what God is doing. God's going to turn this around. And if I don't see it to the day I die, I believe God is able to move in my life. And just keep trusting. You keep believing and have that joy come in your life. Say, Greg, I want that joy. How come I don't have that joy in my life? Why, why, even though I go to church or even though I, uh, you know, watch online or even though I get, why, why do I not have the joy? Greg, I want that joy. How do I find the joy? This is what, let me just give you a few thoughts as I finish up here that I think are critical how you can live today with joy. If you want joy, you have to find the right table. You have to come to Jesus' table. You say, well, wait, what do you mean the right table? Mm. Well, you might be at a table, but it's a table of religion. Or you might be at a table and it's a table of good works. If I just do these things, if I smile at the right time at the right people, or you might be at the table of heritage. If you're a young person and you're in church because you're family is that's great but you have to know the joy do you know the joy is it just something your parents do or is it something that's in your heart is it something that you have and when you're away at school or you're with your friends or there's temptations there is that the joy because that joy is going to produce grace and that grace produces power in your life and if you don't have the power and you're not standing up against the peer pressure of your friends, it's because you're not releasing that grace and you're not releasing the grace because you're not at the right table of joy. You're not at this table. Find the table. Find the right table. You say, well, very good. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm lost on the metaphors. Oh, okay, let's make it simple. Come to Jesus who loves you, who's willing to forgive you, who's willing to fill your life with joy. That's the table. And we get so confused and we say, oh, this is the table and that's the table and all these things. And it's not about all those uh, theological points. And I love theological points. Man, I can go all day <laughs> talking about theology and talking about how to serve God. But you, the table, it's about food, fellowship. It's about connection. It's about surrender. Because you see, in God's table, when you come to this table, you give up your rights and you take his rights. The Bible says that we have died with Christ at his table. And now we live with Christ. That means the joy that he had, the strength that he had, that all, that all is ours. Find the right table. You can do that right now in your heart. You say, God, I'm coming to you. Not everything else that I thought was or wasn't or right, right, wrong. I'm just coming to you. When you come to this table, it'll change everything. And you know what this table starts with? Joy. <laughs> the mark of this feast? Joy. Joy unending. Joy remarkable. You'll find that over and over when people come to Jesus, whether they were healed or whether they were uh, released of their sin, no matter what. You know where they, how they left? Joy. <laughs> you know, she said, don't tell anybody. And then I want hey, let me tell you what Jesus did. Well, you know what that is? Joy. <laughs> That's what the table's about. And the table then will feed us into the grace and we'll understand that it is a place of surrender. But here's a second thought. Because maybe you love God. Maybe you're trying to serve God. Maybe you're at the right table. But you need to stop bargaining 
for your own selfish desires. You could be at the right table. Can you imagine one of these tax collectors saying, Jesus, let me tell you how it's going to work. I need this money. This is important, and I'm going to keep collecting it, and I'm going to keep doing this, and I'm going to keep robbing people, but I want you to hang around with you. <laughs> no, this is not a negotiating table. <laughs> this is a table that gives joy. This is not a, a, a table where you can bargain for, for uh, what you want to do and how you want to live, and I want to do this way. Man, aren't we, as Americans, just so quick to come to God's table and start setting up bargains? Setting up rules of how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to live and how I'm going to act. And don't tell me this and don't act like this. Uh, tell me I have to act like this. And don't tell me I have to give that or forgive this or be there or share this. Or, don't, don't do that. We, we come into church and we sit down with our arms crossed and we all of a sudden start thinking, okay, God, what are you, God? And I'll see how it fits into my bargaining table. No, 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 no. You can bargain at the table, but there'll be no joy. So if you find in your life I just don't have any joy. I'm trying to serve God, but there's just no joy. Could be that you're just there to negotiate. And God says, my table's full of joy, but it's a, it's a table of an altar where you die to everything. Every, everything you think, your vision, your hope, your plans, your home, your life, your family, you have to die to all of that. Oh, Greg, man, you can't talk like that. Yeah, well, that's what the God's table is. <laughs> because joy is on the other side of it. And we can't get there. We cannot get there until we understand the mark of the feast. The mark of the beast is something that we can reject, but understand that what we need to wear is God's joy. Don't, don't bargain. Here I am, God. The two men... Jesus talked about one said, oh, God, I'm glad that I'm not like this person. I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. I'm not great, got it, but I'm not as bad as them. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that person. And the other one said, God, forgive me. Whatever you want. Whatever you want to do in my life. Whoever you want me to be. Wherever you want me to go, I'll give that. And Jesus said, that man lives redeemed that man is forgiven that man is justified that man has joy we can be the most joyful people in the world but it begins by coming to his table and saying god i surrender and find him the most powerful joy and let me just end with this this last one remember 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 you belong at this table <laughs> that's full of joy unspeakable and full of glory you belong here because more than anything else I think what the enemy does is say you don't belong at this table you shouldn't be there you know what you did last night you know what you thought you know how you responded you know how you acted you shouldn't be at this table go away and Jesus said no this is my table I invite messed up broken people I don't invite people that have it all together if you're messed up if you're broken if you're hurting if you're lonely if you don't know what to do this is a table for you this is my table table of forgiveness a table an altar that change you and when you leave you are filled with joy unspeakable you are filled with so much strength 
Because the joy is your strength. The joy is your strength. I'll say it again. Maybe you didn't catch it. The joy is your strength. It is the power of everything. If you can't live this life and you're not living it for God, you're not walking in joy. Because we are marked by joy. It is the mark of the Holy Spirit. Joy is flowing out of us. The Spirit more than anything else. More than, than any other gifts. More than tongues. More than anything. You know what the, it is? Joy. 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 When you walk in that, you you be in the fire. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm trusting you, God, because I got joy. What are you laughing at? You're in the fire. How come you're feeling so good? How come you're not depressed? How come you're not giving up on God? Because God is my joy. And I know it's hurting. I know it's not good. But God is my joy. God is my life. See, that's what the mark is. That's what we live. And you know what? We'll change the world. Because it's not us changing it. It's God's joy changing it. And if there's ever a time, if there's ever a time in our short American history that we need to understand about joy it is right now right now today in this day God give us joy give us your grace help us understand I want to pray for you and I don't know where you fit in all this but I know that God's spirit is touching you right now and I know you're being just quickened in your spirit by what God wants to do His love and His mercy is here. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, go through this camera. Go through every one of those internet lines into the homes, into the hearts, to the lives of people that are desperate to know you more. And God, if they don't know you, invite them to the table. Let them come and surrender and find the joy of salvation. As they give you everything. And God, if they do know you, let's put aside all the marketing and all the negotiating tools of what is and what is and what we shouldn't do and just say, God, I just need you. Your will for my life. Because that's where I find the joy. And God, let everyone know, no matter who they are, in the sound of my voice this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to know they belong at this table. They belong here. They belong at what God's doing in their life. And you can touch them. And you can heal them. And God, more than anything, I pray, as you forgive them, you fill them with joy, joy that we can't even put into words, joy that goes through every circumstance. Those that are hurting, Father, those that are sick, bring healing. Those that are depressed and discouraged, God, bring hope and bring life. Those that feel isolated and rejected, God, let them feel the warmth and the love of your presence of joy.